eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And welcome in Lake Kick is live. It is Sunday night, October 2nd, the year of our Lord, 2022. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. If you enjoy, nay, if you love, 2021 Renaissance season. Wait till I tell you it never really ended. Can anyone make sense of a lot of these conference championship pictures? No, you cannot, but we'll try to as best we can tonight. We're jam-packed. We're high atop a picturesque and very vibrant downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Huge week five reaction show tonight. So we've got all these games to talk about. Paul Christ has been fired at Wisconsin. I'm going to get to that momentarily. Conference championship pictures hazier now seemingly than they were in week one. Back when you and I may have thought we knew something about this sport this year. We got history to make tonight in regards to the Every Given Saturday Tour. We were in Oxford, Mississippi yesterday, as you can tell by the sunburn. And boy, um, when I tell you where we're going to be this week, that's going to make some people mad. I, I know that. But it's also going to raise some eyebrows, I think. Even amongst our staff, because not everyone around here knows where I'm going. That's the way we like to keep it. Uh, we've got two best bets to get to. I've got a, a mysterious orange substance in the chalice of supremacy tonight, because I did not go by a, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just I'll tell you, I go by Publix every day, and uh, they didn't have cold brew today, so it is what it is. Smith Station, Alabama is tuned in. Holland, Michigan tuned in. Crowley, Louisiana, and Baghdad over in Iraq. I'm just going to venture to guess that's one of our servicemen or women. I don't know. I'm only like 90% sure of that. We got a jam-packed show, so there's a lot of breaking news happening. This is the way that Sundays are around here this time of year. Paul Christ is out at Wisconsin, first reported by Adam Rittenberg of ESPN. That's been backed up by several folks. And I can tell you, I almost did a segment on this Thursday because this was in motion last week. Wisconsin has not looked good. In fact, they've looked pretty dreadful this year. They got drugged by Illinois yesterday. And apparently, as it was described to me, it was already a matter of when, not if, and Saturday just answered the question of when. That's how it was described to me earlier today. And so Paul Christ, Wisconsin head coach, really good record if you look at it on the surface, but things were certainly not trending in the right direction. I don't think this is controversial. I don't think this is something, if you know the inner workings of that program, that people are going to look at and say, how could you do this? Now, there will be some folks out there that are probably more drive-by, 50,000 feet types that don't get, they could not honestly tell you they've watched a Wisconsin football game this year who are going to say, you need to give a guy more time. Oh, you got a hair trigger up there. They don't. They know what they're doing. So they had already lost at home to Washington State, and they, of course, lost embarrassing fashion yesterday to Illinois. I got a couple of things to say about this, okay, and then we're going to move on. So the initial thought from most people who know that program is Jim Leonard. Defensive coordinator, one of the brightest minds in the business and one of the brightest, I would say, up-and-coming names in the business. He hasn't been in the business of coaching all that long because he was busy doing things like playing. He played at Wisconsin, uh, played in the NFL, but he's been up there since 2016 in varying roles, currently been the defensive coordinator for the last couple of years. My question there is, are they going to have a search or do they think they already have the guys? Certainly, Leonard's going to be your interim head coach. Are they going to have a search? If they do, I got one name, and then I'm going to burn the list because there's one name and one name only I'd go after. But they got to decide how serious they are about football. And I mean that relative to the other teams they play. Don't anyone email me or DM me and say, are you saying Wisconsin's not serious about football? No, I'm saying you got to be as serious as they are at Michigan, as serious as they are at Penn State and Ohio State. 
because that's who you compete against. You're in the Big Ten. You're not up there to go six and six every year. And they were woefully inadequate organizationally in a lot of areas. And I, I do not myself have firsthand knowledge of the Wisconsin program. I haven't spent time up there. I know people who are close to the program. And if you, it would bore you to death if I were to go down this road, but if you were to be able to see behind the scenes at a lot of what you would think are the basic necessities in the world of staffing, in the world of recruiting, in the world of uh, strength and conditioning, they don't have some of those things that a lot of you would think are just staples. Oh, everyone's got that. D1, D2, D3, everyone's got that. And now everyone doesn't have it. That's why it's a blessing when you do have it. So that's the first thing, regardless of who the head coach is up there. They've got to answer the question, how serious are you about football? How bad do you want to win? Then we got to find out if it's going to be Jim Leonard. And if it is him, by all means, he's earned the right up there. But if it's not him, there's one name to go after. And that's Lance Leipold over at, I, I, I want to say Leipold. And then every time I do, someone comes after me and says Leipold. So look, I'm probably just going to say his last name fast for a little while. But Lance Leipold, what he's doing at Kansas is incredible. I think everyone understands that. Everyone agrees with that. He's got a serious track record in the state of Wisconsin. Was it Wisconsin Whitewater? Two different stints. One as a head coach most recently in the 20-teens. And he did what you want someone to be able to do at Buffalo. And he's currently doing it again at Kansas. There's no guesswork. There's no figuring out whether he has the blueprint. When, when, when Nebraska, for instance, hired Scott Frost, they were hoping, but they found out. There is no hope with Lance Leopold. He, he just, he knows how to do it. He knows how to turn something around, knows how to build it. It just comes down to whether, A, you can get him, and B, whether you want him, whether you think he's the right fit or whether you think you already have the candidate in-house. But my question, before they start to name a head coach or promote from within, i just love to know, how serious are they? Are they as serious as some of their other brethren in the Big Ten? All right, so that's happening right now. I mean, that's within the last hour. So they haven't even made an official announcement, or if they have, it's happened in the last 20 minutes at Wisconsin. So we'll have plenty more on that sometime this week. Week five was pretty incredible, wasn't it? I saw somewhere 10 of the top 25 teams in the AP poll fell yesterday. You know what that smells like to me, by the way? Colin, Jesse, you remember last year? Renaissance season. That's what it feels like to me. And I know as we start to dive into this first game in a second here, I know that a lot of you, myself included, have looked at this sport this year and you've said, boy, there is a, a jammed up picture from about team four through team 35. But those one, two, and three, they're unbreakable. The only ones that are going to break them are each other. Bama, Ohio State, Georgia. Well, uh, Bama... We'll talk about it. They, they lost Bryce Young for one game yesterday, still took care of business. Georgia got put on the absolute ropes until the final whistle against Missouri. And Ohio State looks like a machine at the moment, but there's a long way to go. So my question rhetorically as we enter the show tonight is, is the picture nearly as clear as you thought it would be right now? Let's dive into this. Mississippi State beat Texas A&M yesterday, 42-24. to This was the most high-leverage game in the country yesterday. That's why I'm leading the show off with it. High leverage, as I detailed to you Thursday, because Jimbo Fisher really needed to have this one. It wasn't a must-win. He's not getting fired tomorrow because he lost it, but they really, really needed it because now, already, before they go play Bama, they're having to hit the reset button on a lot of their goals, on a lot of their expectations, but also, there was, I think, an inordinate amount of unseen pressure on Mike Leach by the nation to win this one. Internally, they made a really, really big deal. The Mississippi State fan base made a really big deal about this game because they had already lost to LSU earlier this year. And as we were coming into this thing last week, remember a lot of people looked at the spread on this and you were surprised by it. Now, I told you Tuesday, I told you again Thursday, I was surprised that you were surprised, but... When you go back to that lie that a lot of people tell themselves, you are what your record says you are, folks saw Texas A&M beat Arkansas, and that's all they needed to see. And in reality, that's not how this stuff works. That's not how, from this point moving forward, works. That's not how the predictive modeling world of college football and the odds-making world works. So Mississippi State was a favorite of over a field goal as the game kicked off. We took Mississippi State, so we won that one. Let's take a look at the game for a second. Uh, there is a padlock stat in this, a big one and a surprise even to me, and I picked State to win the game. 
But if you tell me Mississippi State is going to run the ball for six yards per carry against you, knowing how relatively bad they've been on the ground, and that's not a this year thing. That's pretty much just been what Mike Leach's offenses are. It, it, you you got to give something to get something from his offense, and that's normally been it. They ran the ball six yards per carry, which has been a theme against Texas A&M for pretty much any opponent this year. I went and looked today because I knew they had been average at best. They haven't been even average against the run. They rank 97th. Texas A&M defensively ranks 97th in the country in yards per carry average against. I've got that how on my face look. If you're listening on podcast, I agree with you. So that's the first. And look, this was not a situation, if you didn't watch this game, where State ripped off a 95-yard run and it kind of skewed the yards per carry average. Their longest run of the game was 26 yards. This was as it seems on the surface. They just ran the ball on A&M. I guarantee you, outside of some very inferior competition down the road, that is as successful as State will be on the ground all year. I venture to think they may have even been a little bit surprised at how successful they were on the ground. Padlock stat number two, pretty simple. Minus two turnovers for Texas A&M. They are not a team, obviously, that can afford that. So Mississippi State wide receivers, I'll tell you what I respected the most. They went back and they looked at that LSU game, and they knew there was not enough fight in that position group. This is not a wide receiver room that's just flush with first-round NFL draft talent. They're good enough, but they got to fight. they got to win contested balls. And they fought against A&M secondary yesterday, and they won some contested balls. And again, you're playing A&M. You don't have to score 45 to win. You got to make a few of those plays. State did. As it turns out, they had plenty of cushion. So we talk about the winners first around here. Good on Mississippi State. And they got Arkansas this week. And if they win that one, they're really off to the races. But as for Texas A&M, I got some good news for you and I got some bad news for you if you're an A&M fan. Take the good news first. The good news is the problem is clear. You don't have to wonder where the water is coming from, okay? You know where the leak in the boat is. So that's good. At least we have one mystery solved. Here's the really bad news. The captain of the ship seems to be the only person that's not convinced the thing's sinking, that's not convinced that there's a leak anywhere. Now, his feet are wet because there's water all over the place on the floor, but that could be anything. You know, that could be a faulty air conditioner and there's just moisture dripping down off of it. It's, it's, it's working. You know, if, if everything's operating as it should, this thing will work fine. I got a quote that I need you to look at from Jimbo Fisher's press conference yesterday. Because you may have watched the game as a fan and said, after this, there's no way that he can deny any longer that his offense isn't happening. I held up the, I held up the old milk jug a couple of weeks ago and it said expired in 2014. I mean, there's no way Jimbo can, can deny that now, right? Well, here was Jimbo Fisher postgame. Jimbo Fisher on his offensive system, quote, the plays are there and were there. Jimbo Fisher on why it's not working, quote, we're just not executing. I've heard that uh, about a million times from him. That's just a million and one. This is not a good situation for Texas A&M because it's obvious even to the most common viewer that what they do is not working. What I'm not saying is everyone's capable of out-diagramming and out-scheming Jimbo Fisher on a grease board. You don't have to be a doctor to know an ugly baby when you see one. You just know the baby looks ugly, and you call it like you see it. This offense is ugly. You don't have to be able to necessarily diagram it on a grease board to understand the results are what matter at the end of the day. He and his offense, the thing they're running out there right now, is not delivering results. And so you got one of two options. You can either continue banging your head against the wall every week and telling yourself, you know, if, if, if every one of these players does what's written on these pieces of paper, these 47 pieces of paper in front of me, it'll work. And he's right. The thing about it is, and the most maddening part to me has been and always will be, there are about four to six programs in America where they recruit at such a high level they can choose anything they want to do. They can run any offense they want to run because they can get any kind of athlete with which to do it. At Texas A&M, this is what they're choosing to do with all the options in the world. This is not service academy football. They're not being forced to run the option due to lack of options. They can do whatever they want. At Bama, when Nick Saban realized he could do whatever he wants, 
what they do now is what he decided to do. At Ohio State, they can do whatever they want. That, that what they're doing, that's what they decide to do. At Texas A&M, this is what they're deciding to do with that kind of talent. Now, the other question that's been asked a whole lot to me and in general from, Miss, from uh, A&M fans is, well, can we fix it this year? No, you can't fix it this year. This, this requires taking that thing into port, and there are some systemic changes that have to happen from the hull, from the ground up, in other words. No, you can't fix this. It would require overhauling an offense. This is why I told you when Haynes King was getting knocked and everyone said, oh, it's time to go with Max Johnson, that is akin to taking the expired milk and putting a different label on it. It's the same milk. It's just a different label. It's the same offense, guys. It's just Max Johnson, who's playing his heart out. I'll say that about that entire team. You can't knock the effort. You can't knock the competitive spirit. But competing's not enough. You've got to be able to put guys in position to make plays. You've got to be able to take all that talent you have. And you've got to be able to properly leverage it. Otherwise, you're just winning recruiting titles for recruiting titles' sake. And they, even though I know that we work at a company that gives out a mythical trophy for finishing number one in recruiting. Those things don't matter. That just makes you look more stupid when you can't win with them. So that's where Texas A&M is right now. Now, here's the multi-million dollar question that will not be answered this week or next week or in October or November, period. Jimbo Fisher's got, I hesitate to use this hyperbolical term, but he's got a fork in the road coming in his career. Jimbo's got a fork in the road coming. It's not going to happen the season, but it's going to happen after the season because it's very, very clear what they do systemically doesn't work. Offensively, it does not work. And that's, that's not even to mention the struggles they've started to have a little bit defensively against the run. But you can chalk that up to just being young. You can chalk that up to just being down on that side of the ball. This is a year-over-year thing offensively. It's not going to get any better because it's not going to change because he sees fit to keep it the way it is. So the multi-million dollar question is going to be, Jimbo Fisher, a guy willing to either relinquish control of his offense, and I don't think he is, but is he a guy willing to do that, or is he a guy willing to try and reinvent himself philosophically at this stage of his career? That stuff is hard, if not impossible, for most people to do. That's the situation Texas A&M is in. You're going to see a lot of talk about Jimbo Fisher being on the hot seat. He's not on the hot seat right now. You're going to see a lot of talk about boosters pooling money to pay his buyout. It's ludicrous. That's not the kind of conversation that's happening right now, or at least it's not the real kind of conversation happening. And the other thing that I want to make clear, this is not a program in disarray. This is a Ferrari with flat tires. If you want to see a program in disarray, there are other areas in the SEC West you can look. If you want to find a program in disarray, and maybe some of our younger Texas A&M fans need to learn what a program in disarray really means. This program's fine. This program's actually incredibly strong. The team is bad right now, but team and program are two different things. And, and the bottom line is, I'll tell you this, if you're an A&M fan and you tell me your program is broken, what do you think would happen if I went and hired Ryan Day or Nick Saban or someone like that to, from January of 2023 on, be the head coach there. How do you think the 2023 Aggie team would look? It would be one of the best teams in the country because they would overhaul philosophically what you do. Uh, they would portal in guys at quarterback. They would portal in guys at receiver and immediately you'd be one of the best teams in the country because all the foundation's already laid. You got incredible infrastructure out there. You got incredible buy-in. Uh, you've got everything that you need to win right now. That team's got everything they need to win right now. Almost everything. And the problem is that that almost, but not quite enough, you're kind of looking at the top of the pyramid, not the bottom of it. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I was in Oxford yesterday at the Ole Miss-Kentucky game. I'll talk about that more a little bit later, but I handed out about a metric ton of these Academy Sports and Outdoors gift cards. They had a grand opening in Lexington, Kentucky. Ironically, not where I was yesterday. Man, it would have worked out really great if that were a home game for Kentucky. A lot of you checked in. I'm going to give you about one more day. If you went to the grand opening and you have proof that you were there, send it to me. Emails, more preferably DM. That's how I get it quicker. Instagram, Twitter, at Josh. Tag me on Twitter if you just want to put it out there to the public. I've already gotten, I don't know how many submissions. Probably close to 100, if not a couple of hundred submissions. So you guys flooded that store over the weekend. So I appreciate that. Uh, and the reason I'm telling you I'm giving you until tomorrow is we're giving away 10 Chalai of Supremacy randomly. So I'm just going to close my eyes. I'm going to reach in the bag. And I've already given a couple of them out because some of you dropped like over $1,000 there. And it's not always directly attributed to how much you spend, but some of the first submissions we had were really over the top. So I had to acknowledge that. Academy Sports and Outdoors, our exclusive partner, our only partner. It's the only one we have. It's the only one we need. They make everything possible. They make the show free for you. They do all that. And here's the added bonus for you. They have so much stuff that you want and you need in your life. And especially if you're a college football fan, especially if you're outdoorsy at all, if you grill, if, if it ever rains where you are, if you wear clothes out of your house, if you do anything that a normal human being does, Academy Sports and Outdoors, chances are they have several things that you need in life. And if you can't get to one in person, even though it seems like we're opening up a new one every other day, academy.com. That is your hookup. And they, when I say they hook us up, I mean they hook us up. So thank you so much. Let me tell you what Jesse's doing right now. Jesse's really high on himself. Not because the Lions won today. Of course they didn't. But Jesse was, Jesse was on Michigan yesterday, and I was on Iowa, plus the points. And so Jesse's feeling good about himself. When he feels good about himself, he plays with the teleprompter. And right now, it says, remember to like and subscribe. And he's just, just toying with it. Pretty unprofessional in my opinion, but you know what? It is what it is. So uh, make sure you like the video. We got about 600 of them right now. Thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up, and subscribe to the channel. All right, we got a lot more to get to. I mean a lot more. Let's take, a, let's take our first sip of this mysterious orange beverage here. The last time that I consumed what is in this glass, I was in Columbus, Georgia. I know that sounds mysterious. It is, but look. The company doesn't sponsor us. I gotta fix my earpiece. The company doesn't sponsor us, so I don't know what you want from me. Clemson beat NC State 30 to 20. This game was not nearly as close as the final score indicated, but boy, for those of us on the over, and that was everyone associated with the Ramen Noodle Express, that last score, that garbage time score from NC State meant something to us. Did you notice the mood start to shift last week around the ACC? I did. I felt it myself. The mood I'm talking about is, you see Clemson almost get beat by Wake Forest. Translation, you see Clemson win against Wake Forest, but it was an overtime. And so you're looking around and you're, you're starting to sense that mood of, is this conference wide open? Is this anyone's conference? If we saw what Clemson is on their way to becoming yesterday, no, it's not wide open. And no, it's not anyone's conference. Now, this is not an invincible team, that little orange tiger paw there, but that's the class of this conference still. And after the last couple of weeks, let's make no mistake about that. We're looking at the current odds to win the ACC uh, via Caesar Sportsbook on the screen here. And if you're listening on podcast, Clemson's a minus 160 favorite right now. I, I still think you would be surprised that the second odds on favorite to win the ACC, which probably goes to show you how not wide open it is, Miami. It's still Miami at plus 750. They, uh, my, Jesse, they play North Carolina this week, I think. So Miami and North Carolina are 2-3, and they're way behind Clemson, but I just wanted to give you an idea. So let's dive into this thing because it, the game is not hard to figure out. If you watched it, it wasn't difficult to figure out at all. It was as simple as DJ Uyangalale is just a better quarterback than he was last year. Got some numbers here for you. Last year at this point, after five games, he had three touchdowns, he had three picks. He was a 54% completion guy. 
This year, 11 touchdowns to one interception, 65% completion guy. And it's not like they've massively upgraded talent-wise at the skill positions. Uh, Will Shipley's playing very good football, but I mean, look at his wide receiver core. They're, 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 I would say, a level up from what it was collectively last year, but this is not a bunch of first and second round guys in that receiver room. DJ's just gotten better, and he's, he's taking it upon himself, uh, taking it as a personal challenge. It's something to be really proud of because, see, now that he has improved his game, and it's not just a mirage, it's not fool's gold, you, you can solidly now start to statistically see, even if you want to have your heart deny it and your eyes deny it, statistically, there's no denying. He's a better player now. And he's outperformed my expectations. So I'm not into, well, actually, I issue apologies sometimes. I don't think an apology is necessary. You know what? Why not? Uh, if DJ is watching the show and he took things that were, that were said on the show the wrong way, yeah, let's apologize to him tonight. But let's congratulate him. He's playing really well. Really well. And he's outperformed what my expectations would have been for him this year. And as a result, you got to totally recalibrate your thinking on Clemson. I'll talk about that in a second. But yesterday, he was 21 of 30, 209 yards. He ran it 14 times for 73 yards. This is the best defense they're going to play in conference play this year or in the regular season this year. Firmly believe that. No turnovers. It's, it's, it's a huge deal. Because if you watch the way NC State played them, a lot of zone pressure. I thought that it was going to be an environment for him conducive to maybe a game that gave you pause to buying into the maturation process and the evolution of him as a player. It wasn't. In fact, it was probably a feather in the cap of that ideology. DJ is a much better player this year than he was last year. Padlock stat, very easy to see. It jumps out like a sore thumb from the stat line. 1.6 yards per carry for NC State. They just... They, um, if you've ever seen those old Volvo commercials, you know, our, one of my buddies' mom had a Volvo back in the day, and we always loved to ride in it because they, they sold the car as being the safest car in the world. It was like a little tank that was presentable on the road, and they would show the crash dummy video, and the Volvo always held up better. But in the end, even the Volvo was just running into a brick wall. NC State was the Volvo last night. And it was worse for wear as a result. I mean, Devin Leary did what he could. That passing game did what they could. You, there's just not really a lot of functionality when you're running it for less than two yards per carry, and that's a major part of your game plan. I can guarantee you few truths in this uncertain world of ours, but I can promise you NC State did not want to be 2.5 to 1 pass-to-run ratio last night. But that's what they had to be. Interesting time for NC State here. I'll get back to Clemson in a second, but it's a very interesting time for them. Because this was the game. Make no mistake, they beat them last year. This was the game. Because it's a very, very veteran-laden roster. They won nine games last year. The step up for them this year was, let's go beat Clemson, and let's go play for the ACC championship. And it's not impossible now, but it's going to be tough for them to get there because Clemson's got a game-and-a-half lead on them, really. This is not the Pac-12. They don't just take the two best teams regardless of division, so you got to win your division here still. They've got a tough game this week. they got Florida State. Florida State's in wounded animal mode. And NC State, I'm very interested to see how they respond because they've still got a path to a double-digit win season. They have not done that there since the early 2000s. So there's a lot to play for. You've just got to have yourself wired right mentally. you got to do what Wake Forest was able to do yesterday. you got to bounce back. They make you play 12 of these things. I don't care how much you circle one game. If the schedule says you play again seven days later, you play seven days later. They can be a 10-win team. They can still do a lot of things they haven't done in a while around there. I got to adjust the Clemson profile, though. We had them, I think, at nine or eight in the JP poll last week. They're better than that. And they're better than that because they're better at quarterback than I thought they were going to be to this point. They're trying to get healthy in the secondary. I don't want to oversell this team. Uh, this is not a team to me that is on par with your Ohio States or your Bamas yet. They're not in that classification although there have been times in the past several years where they have been. That's not where they are yet. So let's, let's responsibly pump the brakes, but let's also give due credit. Trying to get healthy in the secondary. thought Nate Wiggins played a much better game yesterday. He was one of the players we circled in the preseason. I thought he, thought he validated himself quite well last night. Pass pro, still giving them some issues. Uh, the passing game, 
You know, they're not overly dynamic there, but they, they've been plenty good enough. So this can be a good team, really good team, can be the ACC champion. And if they do that, they're going to the playoffs. So Clemson's got it in them to do a lot of things that they couldn't do last year. Congratulations to Dabo Swinney and the Tigers. For some reason, a lot of you think it pains me to say that. Hey, what color is the beverage on the set? I rest my case. Just because I can't pronounce the S and it sounds like a Z doesn't mean I have it in for Clemson. Clemson. Sounds bad. That's like the Brigham Young of of, uh, the Carolinas for me. All right, let's talk about this game. Uh, Wide range of emotions yesterday in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Bama 49, Arkansas 26. Imagine being the person who, as halftime approached, decided, I'm going to run to the store right quick. I'm going to go get something to eat right quick. The last thing you saw before you left the house was Bama leading 28 to nothing. And then you get back, and they're up, what, 49 to 23 or 26, and you say, oh, I didn't really miss much. While you were gone, this thing got to 28 to 23. In the fourth quarter, there was a third and 15 where Bama was on their own 20-yard line, and Arkansas's got all the momentum in the world, and Jalen Milrow, he could have run to Little Rock if he wanted to. Point being, this thing was in the balance. Everything, if I were to ask you Friday that you would have told me Arkansas needed for an upset, happened. This is really impressive for Alabama. Really, it's, it's not a flawless performance, but when you consider what happened here, think about it. If I were to ask you Friday, hey, lay out the scenario. Give me a few bullet points. What would Arkansas need for an upset? Well, uh, it certainly wouldn't hurt their efforts if Bama w- was without Bryce Young. Bryce Young missed uh, the entire second half and a lot of the first half here. Uh, they recovered an onside kick. Bama had probably the worst snap in the modern era on punt team that gave Arkansas a very, very short field that they scored on. Bama had over 100 yards in penalties. Everything Arkansas needed in that upset recipe was present yesterday. And yet Bama still won, and they still covered, and it just seems so weird. It was like, a, it was like three or four different versions of the game got rolled into one, so you saw a little bit of everything. But... I was, I I get overly impressed with this kind of stuff. No matter who the team is, I think sometimes if you get the benefit of being able to do what we do, which is go to a game every week, you develop this ultra high sense of appreciation for teams that win on the road. Home field advantage is one of those things that's talked about a lot, but it's not overrated. If anything, it's underrated. There are some other things in this game that are talked about a lot, and they're way overrated. Playing college football on the road is just hard to do. It's really hard. to. Kirby Smart was talking about it last night, and he's not wrong. A lot of people scoff and dismiss it. Oh, it's only Missouri. You get everyone's Super Bowl, man. You get everyone's fastball. That includes the crowd. I'm there for all the big games, so I know how much louder those places are than they normally are. Anyway... If you are without the Heisman Trophy winner and you go into a place where that team's back's against the wall and they're, they're a very talented team, and at the end of the day, I can't even tell the difference on the scoreboard. I can't even tell that you were missing Bryce Young because you still hung half a hundo on Arkansas. That stuff impresses me. So that's the way I saw that. I mean, padlock stat's pretty obvious. If Bama's hanging 7.5 yards per carry on you, Bama's going to beat you. Kobe Prentice, Isaiah Bond, JoJo Earl. Three names I want to just keep on your radar. Because a couple of weeks ago, we had a question on the show about how Bama didn't have speed or the ability to separate after the Texas game. Remember that? Remember when receivers couldn't get open? That part was true. Receivers weren't getting open. But then the follow-up, which I thought was flawed, was Bama doesn't have enough speed at receiver. They can't get separation. No, 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 no. Two different things there. They didn't get separation against Texas. They got all the speed in the world. Speed's not a problem there. And if you watched players like Kobe Prentice yesterday, if you watch Jameer Gibbs as a running back, look at him. Could have also run to Little Rock several times yesterday. But Kobe Prentice, Isaiah Bond, they got JoJo Earl back yesterday. They got, I haven't even mentioned Harold, who they got from Louisville, who just hasn't been seen this year except on the back of milk cartons. They got plenty of speed. A lot of it's young. They got plenty of burners in that receiver room. That's why I told you that's not going to be an all-year problem for them. Now, it was the run game that carried them yesterday, which is what I want to focus on for a second. 
Because they did this stuff. Jameer Gibbs is incredible. That's why we made such a big deal about him when he transferred from Georgia Tech. But they did this stuff absent Bryce Young and absent that wide receiver room really being able to carry the day. And it's because they ran for like half a mile on Arkansas. And it was a bad look for Arkansas in the second half. Uh, this is not the game that will haunt Arkansas, though. Make no mistake about this. I was listening to our buddy Trey Biddy. He characterized this the exact right way. If you were expecting Arkansas to beat Bama, you were kind of on an island there. But, man, them failing to beat A&M last week, that's what will haunt them. But even having said that, last week or, or yesterday is, is not what's going to tell the tale with them. This coming week will. They go to Mississippi State. State has opened as around a four- or a five-point favorite. And that game is an early kick in Starkville. That has big-time implications and consequences for both teams, obviously. And you see on the schedule, it's, it's irresponsible. It's egregious scheduling practice for Arkansas, but it is what it is. They go to Mississippi State. And then where do they go, friends? They go to Provo, Utah. No rest. Back-to-back -back road games. And the second leg is in the mountains in the Rockies, against Brigham Young. So, you know, you already put Cincinnati on there, and it wasn't enough, so we just had to throw Brigham Young on there for good measure. Uh, the defense in the second half for Arkansas has a lot of people fired up up there, and it should, because for all intents and purposes, Alabama was one-dimensional, and that one dimension still just ran over you. It was a bad look, a really, really bad look. I take nothing away from Bama. It was a bad look for Arkansas. How do we begin to talk about this next game? I should have had Colin get the TVMA graphic up because uh, this next segment deserves it. Did any of you watch TCU in Oklahoma yesterday? And if you did, I got to ask the question, did you allow your children to watch it past the first quarter? Because if you did, I'm not one to parent your kids. I just ask, is it the most responsible thing to let a child witness that? 55 to 24 is the final here. And believe me, it could have been so much worse if, if Sonny Dykes and TCU did not have a big heart. It could have been so much worse than that. You know how sometimes when you're looking at the bigger programs in college football, you've always got that one buddy who looks at those teams and says, well, I could coach that team to nine or ten wins. No, you couldn't. You really couldn't, fool. What you saw from Oklahoma yesterday is exactly what it would look like if a normal person took over a major college football program for a week of preparation and game plan installation and then put it on the field on Saturday. That's what it would look like. Oklahoma, more talented at almost every position than TCU, didn't matter. They got it handed to them thoroughly. That's what it would look like if you or I took over a college football program for a day. Now, here's the problem. No one won a raffle. No one bid on a charity to coach Oklahoma yesterday. That was Brent Venables. That was his coaching staff. Uh, it sounds like I'm knocking them, and I am. This is unacceptable, but I'm, I'm not on that train. I'm going to talk about them in a second. But I'm just I'm saying this one caught me a little off guard. It was almost one where I looked and said, hello, what's wrong with the scoreboard? Nothing was wrong with it. It, was, it just was what it was. TCU is a really good team, okay? I know that sometimes... It's not popular to just say a team that beat us is really good. TCU is really good. Uh, TCU is going to make a lot of noise. They're in the process of making a lot of noise in the Big 12. This is a conference that's wide open, by the way. I mean, the, the team that they just splattered all over Fort Worth, Texas yesterday was considered the favorite to win the conference. That changed by the time the sun went down. This was 41-17 to at halftime. Here's a fun little padlock stat. A first-half padlock stat. How does 10.2 yards per play in the first half sound? Translation, kids. I had stats and info confirm this for me. That means every time TCU snapped the ball, they recorded a first down on average. Gross. 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 They had 668 total yards. 417 of those were in the first half. Max Duggan, you see him running there. Uh, he, he could have run to Little Rock. A lot, of, a lot of folks could have run to Little Rock yesterday if he wanted to. Remember that little quarterback battle that they had going on in fall camp? Well, Max Duggan's the starting quarterback there now. He was 23 of 33 yesterday, 302 yards through the air, three touchdowns. Just for good measure, he also ran it 116 yards for two more touchdowns. Uh, they're good. 
they're just, I don't know what more to tell you. Get your kids ready to live in a world where TCU under Sonny Dykes is really, really good this year. TCU plays Kansas this Saturday. This Saturday, people, they are a combined 9-0. and 9-0. Yeah. There are a lot of teams out there, by the way, toting several losses, paying their coaches over $9 million a year. Do you know how many Sonny Dykes or Lance Leopold you could buy for that much money? Just going to leave that one out there. Going to let it float for a second. I think that when you go back to Brenton Venables and his staff, and, and there's a lot of criticism being doled out, they're big boys, they can take it. I've got some criticism. Yesterday was totally unacceptable. Uh, this is compounded by the fact that they also got owned by Kansas State the week before. Yes, it's bad. It's unacceptable. There, there is no season where that's okay for Oklahoma. Having said all that, I think coaching salaries and I think the transfer portal and, and the hype video culture of college football right now has totally thrown logic into a wood chipper. When you tell me that you have to overturn a culture, I'm going to take it to mean exactly what you told me. you got to overturn a culture. When Lincoln Riley exited, not even stage left or stage right, he just left out the back door, a lot of Oklahoma folks told me it was rotten inside and we didn't like what the program had become and now we're going to bring Brent Venables in and he's going to redefine the culture. Cool, that's great. If you believe that, it's your program, it's not mine. But you got to respect what that means. You, you can't just pay a guy 20% more than you would have and expect that to mean you can just microwave your way to the result you want. And you also can't just portal your way immediately to it. And you can't, you can't have a bunch of hype videos that make you feel really good about yourself in the spring and expect it to mean anything in the fall. When you're trying to redefine something, there are some things you can't shortchange your way or shortcut your way to. And uh, doing that with a football program, no matter how much you pay someone and no matter how good you feel in the spring, it takes a little while. And sometimes the hard truth is you're going to have to incur some days like you did yesterday. I would venture to think that's not the last loss on Oklahoma's schedule this year. You may have another one coming Saturday. But what you can't do is if Brent Venables and his coaching staff have accurately gauged that program and they see that there isn't a quick fix, the last thing that you can do is dumb down your process for the sake of going nine and three or eight and a four as opposed to six and six. If six and six is what it takes, that's what it takes. Uh, but I, I'm just telling you, in this day and age, there are a lot of guys who have never been head coaches before who are getting a shot, and that's wonderful. I, I'm, I don't ever want to be the person who stands in the way of a guy getting the opportunity of a lifetime. There's no shortcut to learning the lessons. There never will be. There's no shortcut to developing experience as a head coach, as a staff, there never will be. And you're going against guys out there, climbing last week, Sonny Dykes, they've done it for a while. Recruiting rankings falsely lead you to believe, well, we got these big edges against them. No, you don't. You didn't. TCU is the better, TCU's a better team than Oklahoma. If they played again this week, you may not have that bad an outcome. They'd beat you again this week. Are you more talented? Sure you are. Did that mean anything? No. Does it mean anything? No. Because talent is not what wins. A team wins. Now, when a team is put in a proper position to utilize their talent, that's the best of both worlds. But there's a little ways to go here. Texas, Oklahoma, Texas favored by about six in the Red River Shootout this Saturday. It's not making excuses. It's just explaining this is the reality of this year's Oklahoma team. That's the reality. Colin, I think it's time. This is a good spot in the show. I think it's time. We were in Oxford yesterday. I'm going to talk about that game a little bit later on, so I'll save my review for them. Anyone who's watched me for any length of time, really, anyone who knows me in my personal life, you know that my biggest beef with college football season is that all the games happen at the same time. You know, you sit there in February, March, April, May, June, July, August, and you think about it, and you talk about it, and you predict it, but then they all just come at you at once, and my biggest problem has been I can only be at one game per Saturday. Or can we only be at one game per Saturday? Now, of course, if we were to want to attend one game across town and get in a car and go across town for the nightcap, sure, we can do that, but what happens when these games are hundreds of miles apart? Now, the one percenters amongst us 
have always had access to something that breaks that wall down, private aviation. But us common folk have not had access to that. The one good thing about our audience, among many good things, is I never have to ask twice for something from you guys. If anyone needs assistance, if, if you need to uh, patronize Academy Sports and Outdoors, anything we've ever needed around here, at the drop of a hat, you've always done it. I've asked you, for example, to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Over the past month, we had 17,000 subs in the month of September, which is about four times more than our next highest month ever. Thank you for that, and please continue to do so because it only helps us do what I'm about to tell you. We get to join that private aviation club this week, and so without further ado, I'm not announcing one stop on the Every Given Saturday Tour Saturday. I'm giving you two of them. We're going to LSU for Tennessee versus LSU. You can knock this as being SEC bias all you want to. We were, we were stamped and ready to go to Red River, and then Oklahoma screwed that up. So we are not going to be in Dallas at 11 a.m. We're going to be in Baton Rouge at 11 a.m. Tennessee, a three-and-a-half-point favorite at LSU. We have not been to Baton Rouge in two years. As you well know, if you've watched this show any length of time, I've got a very, very special place in my heart. You know, they, they use the purple heart emoji on the iJosh specifically for how I feel about our friends down in Baton Rouge. So we'll be down there. But here's what you don't know. What you don't know is another partner of ours came in several weeks ago and they purchased four road trips for us to make. We already made one of them for Auburn Penn State. Our second one comes up this week and it's in Tuscaloosa where Texas A&M goes to Alabama. You know what time that game kicks off? That game kicks off at 7 p.m. And so we're gonna be in Baton Rouge for Tennessee LSU. That kicks off at 11 a.m. And then we'll take ourselves right up the road even though we won't be on the road, to Alabama for Texas A&M and Alabama. May even do some pregame coverage there. So we, in, in addition to that, we'll be in Tuscaloosa this Thursday for Late Kick live on the road. And our location is TBD, but I've got a pretty good idea that you're going to like our location there. So just stay tuned for that. But the Every Given Saturday Tour, we are spreading our wings very, very literally, and we are going to hit two games in one day. We thought we could do it last year, and I dropped the ball. So this year, we're going to make it happen. First of hopefully many opportunities for us to do this. Tennessee LSU, our early kick, and appropriately named A&M and Alabama, our later kick. Thank you, because you made that possible for us. Thank you. Okay, let's roll on. Boy, this one came out of nowhere too. Where were you last night when Missouri was leading Georgia in the fourth quarter? Georgia ends up winning this 26-22 with 9.39 left to go in regulation. That was the moment that Georgia first found the end zone. Now, what if I gave you odds on that? What if I gave you that little prop bet? I was caught completely by surprise. I mean, remember where we were, guys. Georgia had a struggle win against Kent State which means they are going to go and annihilate whoever they play next, right? Meanwhile, Missouri has the most heartbreaking loss imaginable the week before, which is going to crush their spirit, right? And then there they are against Georgia last night, leading in the fourth quarter. If you were watching this, and I, was, I got all the way back to Nashville by 7 o'clock last night, I was in our office watching all the late games, you were probably thinking like I was, when is the burst coming? You just, you know it's coming. This is going to be a really good story that Missouri led this thing through three quarters, but Georgia ends up pulling away. That's the way that game's supposed to happen. And the burst never came. And in retrospect, it's fair to ask yourself, where was the burst going to come from? It wasn't going to come from the running back position. Georgia, by their standards, is pretty average there this year. It wasn't going to come from the wide receiver room. Georgia does not have special talent in that room. They don't have the ability to be explosive. They don't have elite athleticism in that, in that room this year. And as a result, you don't have a quarterback that can take over a game. Now, here's what they do have. Because I think Georgia right now is about to get played the same way Clemson did last year. When folks realized Clemson just had a bunch of guys who looked impressive but couldn't beat you at wide receiver, they played Clemson differently. I think folks are going to play Georgia that way. Here's the difference. Georgia's got a tight end room that can still take over games. They got a tight end room that's full of some of the best players in the country. But they're going to get played different. And that, that kind of goes back to that week one deal where they just blow out Oregon 
And I told you it reminded me potentially of the same thing last year that Bama did to Miami. Bama blows Miami out early in 2021, and everyone says that team's unbeatable. They're going to have a death march to the national title. Well, they weren't unbeatable, and they didn't have a death march to the national title. In fact, they almost got beat several times on the road. They did get beat one time on the road. They were good enough to win any game they played, but they weren't invincible. Georgia this year just destroyed Oregon in week one. And now you've seen them a few times look vulnerable. And you got to ask yourself, if you drew conclusions in week one, did you violate one of Meemaw's principles? A foolish man concludes in week one. A wise man observes in week one. There were a lot of flaws with this team you just didn't see in week one. Now, here's the plus side. They're still good enough to win a national championship. This was never going to be a flawless team. And, and the, the whole defending champion thing, there's a reason I don't use that phrasing on the show. This team hadn't won anything. Uh, there are a lot of players on this team that had very little, if anything, to do with that championship last year. And the ones who did are in new circumstances themselves this year. I don't think this is a deal that has to do anything with complacency. I don't get that sense from them. If, you, if you've got new pieces, if you've got younger guys, just because they're not playing maybe at the same level or, or with quite the same intensity as the version you saw last year doesn't automatically mean it's complacency. That's just natural. That, that's the, those are the kind of growing pains that you get from human beings, period, regardless of whether they're playing for a logo on their helmet that did something last year or not. So the, the observation that people made in week one, in retrospect, probably got blown up a little bit too much. Now, I get it. It's hard to watch what Georgia did to Oregon in week one and not be ultra impressed by it. But now we start to learn what Georgia really is. And, and this is where you've you got to get to work. If you're Kirby Smart and, you're, and his staff, you've got to get to work now. You, you're still better than every team they're going to play on their schedule. But you start to realize, all right, if a team pops us early, you know, I mean, I, I can't help but think down the road about when they play Tennessee only because it's the most dangerous passing attack they'll play all year. I can't help but think about what happens if that team gets up, you know, 13, 17 to 3 or something like that. Because it may not be as easy, because you may not be able to just make them sit still while you slowly reel them in like you did in Missouri last night. Um, the point is, look, losing a game is not the end of the world. We've seen teams lose games and win national championships. But this Georgia team is going to be a lot more work in progress I get the sense that there are some younger guys on this team that you may have sparingly seen so far that you're going to end up seeing more and more because here's what Kirby Smart's not going to do. What Kirby Smart's not going to do is just keep the same guys in the same positions for the sake of seniority and blah, blah, blah. They have, they have some of the most incredible practices you could ever imagine. Some of the most high-level competition in America is happening Monday through Thursday in Athens, Georgia. And it may very well be that some of those young guys they have on campus, because they're not getting the result, they're not playing to the standard they want to, it may be that those guys get more shots and get more playing time down the road. It happens every year there. It just may happen a little more abundantly this year. But they got some good, they got some good players there. They got some great players there, potentially. It's not a great team at the moment, but understand the scale we're talking about here. That's still one of the three best teams in the country. And you're watching them yesterday. If you're a Georgia fan, you're finding every reason to knock what you're watching. Just goes to show you the kind of rarefied air you're in as a program when, you know, your struggle is the envy of most of the rest of the country. 26 to 22 against Missouri. I did not see it coming. They're watching us in Tupelo, Mississippi. They're watching us in Rockwell, Texas. And Salt Lake City, Utah is tuned in. All right. The game I was at yesterday, Ole Miss 22, Kentucky 19. You know we had a lot of criticism about where we chose to go for the Every Given Saturday Tour, which I'm fine with, but no one showed up today. No one showed up yesterday and said, I was wrong. Turns out you picked the right one to go to. As Clemson was blowing out NC State last night, no one came back and said, I was wrong. You, you, you ended up going to the one you should have gone to. This one fit all the parameters for what we look for in the games that we attend. And we don't always pick perfectly, but we did yesterday. This was the game to be at. It was a four-quarter game. It was decided in the final minute. I said last week in the preview, I had never been more convinced that turnovers were going to decide a game. 
turnovers unequivocally decided this game. Namely, two of them by Kentucky in the red zone in the final minutes of this game. One thing I thought about Ole Miss actually did not happen. I was monitoring their center position all week last week, and it ended up that they were without their starting center. Now, why that was significant, I thought, is because I thought that that would throw their timing and rhythm off a little bit to where Jackson Dart was just too vulnerable and and too careless with the ball, and it ended up in a couple of turnovers. Now, he had some balls across the middle that were tipped, but they were never picked. So he he threw one interception, but he didn't have that horrific day that, that I thought may be coming. And here's why it's so impressive. He was handling bad snaps all game. I could not believe how poor they were snapping the ball yesterday, or I guess I could. I couldn't believe that they didn't have to pay for it in the form of a loss or multiple turnovers. So after the game, Lane Kiffin said, I know it may surprise you that I think this, but I think Jackson Dart played a good game. That's what he meant. He didn't outright call his center out, but that's what he meant. They should have been discombobulated beyond the point of recognition yesterday, and they weren't. They did enough. It was some of their lowest output of the season offensively. They did enough. Kentucky had this thing where they needed it. Absolutely had it where they needed it. If you would have told Mark Stoops, you're going to hold Ole Miss into the low 20s at, at home, and you're going to have two opportunities inside the red zone late offensively. Will you take it? He said, where do I sign? And they got it. And it wasn't enough because two times Kentucky turns the ball over. It was a, it was a bad day for Will Levis, a bad situational day for Will Levis. They, um, they got Chris Rodriguez back yesterday, did Kentucky. And I wasn't convinced it was going to make that big a difference. And it didn't. It did not. He's a good player. Uh, but they were just not equipped to run the ball right now. They were still under three yards per carry yesterday. And as a result, it did put Kentucky in some unfavorable situations. And Ole Miss had three sacks. They had nine tackles for loss. You saw in the fourth quarter them force two turnovers. I mean, that's the difference in the game. So it was an entertaining game to witness. I think that the overall complimentary style that Ole Miss played is such a credit to Lane Kiffin and to his coaching staff, man. They, I'm telling you, inside the industry, there are a lot of people doubting them. A lot of people watched the assistant coaches that walked out the door for Ole Miss, and they were telling you, anybody who would listen behind the scenes, Kiffin's not the real straw that stirs the drink there. Those assistants were, and they're gone, and now they're going to suffer because of that. I would say defense, special teams, and offense in that order won this game for them yesterday. I want you to think about that. What's the reputation for Ole Miss? The reputation you probably think of is they outscore people. That's not the way they're playing. That's not the way they're winning. They're 5-0 and because they, they consistently won the battle of field position yesterday. Defense stepped up big time, multiple times, and offense did enough. If offense is what I'm waiting to come around on a Lane Kiffin coach team, I think they're pretty good. I think they're in a pretty good position. It was a great day yesterday. Gave out a ton of Academy gift cards. I got called. I was on the sideline. Someone called my name and and did this, which means gift card. So I walk over there. I give the guy a gift card. And he, what do you think? He made one request. What do you think his request was? His request was, you need to give Northwestern some more love. Northwestern does not get enough respect on the show. And I'm like, okay, have a good day, man. I, I don't, what do I say? What do I say? But uh, gave away a ton of Academy gift cards. Food was great. We could have gone to any tailgate we wanted to. Atmosphere was great. The hospitality, overwhelming. Weather, couldn't have dialed it up any better. Uh, Brad and the folks at Ole Miss took care of us. First class organization over there all the way. And it was my first time there. So I know a lot of people didn't like that it was a 7 or 11 a.m. kickoff. I loved it because I was back here by 7 p.m. last night. But really good time. Uh, Everything they say about Oxford is true except for the state fans, and they have good reason to not say it, but I absolutely loved our time there. We will be back. All right, some other games. I just wanted to mention these here, or else I'll get accused of not mentioning them. Kansas is undefeated. They beat us, us being Iowa State yesterday, 14-11. to 11. Iowa State missed three field goals in this game, which, as you can see, mathematically decided it. Uh, Kansas held Iowa State to 26 yards rushing. Iowa State invested 30 carries 
in this game plan. And it amounted to 26 yards total. So less than one yard per carry. No bueno. Kansas is 5-0. and They host TCU this... Wait, wait, wait. Do I have that right, Jesse? I think TCU this weekend. Check on that for me. Kansas... Yes, TCU this weekend. College game day there, by the way. I mean, say that out loud. Who would have predicted that? Unless it was one of those special benefit, kindness of our heart type things that they do sometimes. No, Kansas earned this one the hard way. Texas beat West Virginia 38-20. to Look, this is off everyone's radar. I was ultra impressed by this. I thought it was a vulnerable spot for Texas. Defense was on the field 100 plays the week before, and I thought it was imperative they got off to a fast start, and they did. They were up like 24 or 28 to nothing, something like that. So they got out to a big lead. Uh, West Virginia was averaging over 200 yards rushing per game, and they got 61 yesterday. So Texas defense, man, I can't, I cannot compliment them enough. I don't care how little you respect West Virginia if you're a, if you're a fan. This was not an easy spot. They, they're coming off the loss on the road. They got Oklahoma coming up. Quinn Ewers did not start, did not play in this game. And yet Hudson Card, 21 to 27. 303 through the air, three touchdowns, no interceptions. This will not be a game they talk about at the end of the year. This was a huge game for Texas. Don't overlook how big this was. And now they go into Red River. They are favored by five or six. I got a buddy named Stanley who thinks they'll be a 10-point favorite by kickoff. I do not endorse that sentiment, but they're solidly favored, and they should be for a reason. What about Michigan and Iowa yesterday? Michigan scored. This is a padlock stat, as it turns out. Michigan scored on four of their five opening possessions. Against Iowa, that's going to be enough. So they scored in every quarter. That also, even if it's just field goals, which it wasn't, but even if it was just field goals, knowing how limited Iowa is, that very well could have been a padlock stat. Iowa had um, now, the past three games against Michigan, 20 points combined. It's been tough, admittedly. It's been tough. Michigan goes to Indiana this week. They open as about a three-touchdown favorite. Oklahoma State beats Baylor 36-25. I was a little mad at myself. Picked Baylor to win the game. A little mad at myself that even though I was aware of the situational dynamics and even though I mentioned them on the show last week, I think I underestimated the value of Oklahoma State having a bye week and Baylor coming off a road trip. I, think, I don't think that's the reason they lost. I'm saying I think I underestimated it. But Oklahoma State, special teams huge in this game. They constantly working with short fields, it seemed like. Uh, Blake Shapin, costly interceptions, a couple of costly interceptions. Oklahoma State is 4-0 now. Okay, here are their next games. They got Texas Tech this week. They go to TCU, and they got Texas, which is it's just kind of indicative of what the Big 12 is right now. Every game, look at the rest of their schedule. Listen to this. Texas Tech, TCU, Texas, Kansas State, Kansas, Iowa State, Oklahoma, every one of them. Feels like a knife fight because that's the Big 12 this year. We told you in the preseason, most entertaining conference in America this year. Even I underestimated how evenly matched the entire conference would be. Here's a big shout out that is deserved. Wake Forest went into Tallahassee yesterday and they beat FSU 31 to 21. They were coming off a back-breaking loss against Clemson in overtime. And I, I thought it was a horrific spot for them to have to go on the road and face a, a red-hot FSU team, and they win the thing 31-21. There was no luck. There was no fluke about it. They led it early. Uh, 28 first downs, by the way, for Wake Forest. They were 10 of 18 on third down, 3 of 3 on fourth down. Uh, they led 21-7 at the half. They just, they just owned the game. They controlled the game. Uh, they bounced back, and it was impressive because I didn't know if they had it in them. And they did it, and now they keep themselves within, within reaching distance of Clemson. Of course, Clemson's got the game and a half lead on them, but they keep themselves within reach. It's a big game this week for FSU. Got a lot of positive energy around the program. They go to NC State. So basically, Florida State just keeps drawing the teams that Clemson just beat. Clemson beats Wake. They get them. Wake wins. Clemson beats NC State. They get them. We'll see. Future hasn't been written yet. I wanted to go back to Friday night. UCLA was pretty impressive. Now, I don't think a lot of you are watching them. Pretty impressive. They, I mean, Washington scored 16 late points in that game. 40 to 32 was the final. UCLA handled them. Washington had 100 yards and penalties. There were minus two turnovers. But, man, UCLA was 10 of 14. 
on third down. You know who they play this week? Huge game on the West Coast. They host Utah this week. And I know a lot of folks who are watching the Pac-12 from a distance, they just keep asking, when does USC play Utah? When does Oregon play Washington? You need to be paying attention to UCLA hosting Utah this week because they are 5-0. UCLA, 5-0. Said in the preseason, one of the biggest pressure situations this year was Chip Kelly. Because of all the transition on the West Coast, Chip Kelly's got a veteran quarterback. He's, got a, he's probably got his best team that he's had at UCLA. You got, you got new staffs at Oregon and Washington and USC. If you're ever going to strike, this is the year. This is the time. They're taking advantage of it so far. And Oregon yesterday beat Stanford 45-27. to Bo Nix, this is such a classic Bo Nix line. 161 passing, 141 rushing. They're 4-1 and one now. You're not going to be able to take away the Georgia blemish in week one. But that wasn't a Pac-12 game. They, they still have all their goals in front of them out there. They had 9.5 yards per carry yesterday against Stanford. They ran it 37 times for 351 yards. So that is the equivalent, I think, roughly, let me think. Yeah, yeah Eugene to Portland, probably about that long. They, they, they ran it for half a mile on Stanford yesterday. Uh, also, I, I wanted to mention, you know, we, we did not have a good feeling about Oregon State's chances at Utah yesterday, and we were right. It was a blowout. Situationally, you know, that spot, Oregon State going to Utah, I felt the same about that one as I did Wake going to Florida State. Thought the home team was going to win in a route in both spots, and we, we were only one for two. Oregon State did fall. It was just a bad dynamic spot for them. Sometimes, sometimes those pop up, and there's no point spread that can account for it. All right, let's get you some early best bets here. Uh, feel good about two games. Moving on, Buffalo plus two. They're at Bowling Green. No, wasting no time here. Buffalo plus two at Bowling Green. And Louisville minus four and a half at Virginia. You know, I, this has nothing to do with us being on Virginia yesterday. But I'd be lying if I didn't say I'm holding a grudge against the Virginia football program for what they didn't do against Duke yesterday. I feel bad for myself, and I just feel anger towards Virginia. But on a totally unrelated note, the model just likes Louisville to win by like 9 or 10, I think, this week. So Louisville minus 4.5, Buffalo plus 2. Okay, I know it seemed like a long show, but we probably got an hour and a half show in in about an hour and five because... The Braves could sweep the Mets tonight, and I, we, have, we have got big, big dealings happening in the NL East right now. So i got to go get in this monitor out here and watch the rest of the game. Thank you so much. Make sure you like the video on the way out and subscribe to the channel. 16,000 or 17,000 subs in September. Can't believe you did that. Even I am surprised that you were able to pull that off. Let's keep it going. Let's have a happy Halloween and celebrate another record. For producer Jesse, for director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. We'll be back here same time Tuesday night. Until then, take care, have a great week, and God bless. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+.